we had a series of restaurant and fast food robberies. They were becoming increasingly violent. They would do like a takeover, robbery of a restaurant, you know, jump over the counters, hold guns to be, you know, the patrons' heads. And it, it was going on for probably about two months. So I had a lieutenant and he was becoming frustrated too. And he looked at me one day and he said, well, you know what? You're the analyst. You're supposed to tell us what you're supposed to be able to predict when the next one's going to happen. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. The podcast that makes your law enforcement dreams happen. Welcome to the Go Law Enforcement podcast brought to you by GoLawEnforcement.com. I'm your host, Joe Lebowski. If you're looking for a job in law enforcement, GoLawEnforcement.com has the largest listing of law enforcement job openings. The requirements to be a police officer are different for every state. To find out if you meet the requirements to be a police officer in your state, take a short three-question quiz by going to GoLawEnforcement.com forward slash quiz. That's GoLawEnforcement.com forward slash quiz. Annie Mitchell is a supervising crime analyst with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. In this episode of the Go Law Enforcement podcast, supervising crime analyst Mitchell discusses the role of crime analysts within her department, and she provides two amazing examples of her work. In a homicide case, Annie was asked to figure out who the suspect was, and the only information she was given was the suspect's first name, Bob. In another case, there was a violent group committing a string of armed robberies targeting restaurants and fast food businesses. Annie was tasked with predicting the date, time, and location of the next robbery so detectives could set up surveillance and catch the suspects in the act. Well, Annie Mitchell, welcome to the Go Law Enforcement podcast. Thank you for asking me. And you are a supervising crime analyst with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. What was your career path getting into that role? I started 43 years ago. The reason I came on the Sheriff's Department was um, I had done some college. I did not get my, you know, my undergrad degree. However, I was looking for a job. I was married at the time to an LAPD officer who worked shifts. Well, my skill set was secretarial. So I had, I knew someone who worked for the sheriff's department in that capacity. And if you worked at a, one of our, you know, substations, you work weekends, holidays, and shifts. Um, we didn't have computers back then. So, you know, we had, we had to work at a station, you would have um, things that would be given to you and they'd be dictated to you. So we had this method of, you know, it's a short form of, language. So I would have a watch commander come to me and have to do a use of force memo. He would dictate the use of force memo to me. I would transcribe it, you know, via typewriter. And um, it worked out well for my marriage. And, and, you know, I was working graveyard shift and Christmas and everything else. So I worked there for about two years and a bulletin came out. I mean, on the sheriff's department, we're so large. There's, there's a lot of room for um, advancement, advancement for civilians. Um, and so I saw a bulletin, a job bulletin for a sheriff's dispatcher. 
And the one thing that caught my eye was the amount of money that I would make as a sheriff's dispatcher as opposed to my stenographer role. Still working weekend shifts and holidays, but it intrigued me. And so probably within that next year, I was hired on at our sheriff's radio room. And I will tell you, even to this day, um, I loved being a dispatcher. I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the action. I worked there for 10 years, and then um, I had I had a little girl. And I decided that when I worked Christmas and my husband worked Christmas, I didn't want to do that. So I started looking around to go maybe go back clerical. And I happened upon crime analysis. And it was at the station that I had started at. And I it was not as a crime analyst. It was as a um, like a technical person that would be um, assisting the crime analyst and the sergeant in that office. They were operating under a career criminal apprehension grant. And I interviewed and got the job and immediately fell in love with what crime analysis was. I ended up, the person that was the crime analyst did not care for that position. She left. I had a sergeant that wanted me to be the crime analyst. And I did not meet the minimum qualifications at that time because I did not have a college degree. However, unfortunately for me, he went to bat and went to our personnel bureau and said, I believe the sheriff's department should offer current employees who show the ability to do this job some sort of a career path. So it sounds like there's a variety of different roles for crime analysis within the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Can you give me an overview of of what crime analysts do in your department? Sure. Um, We have 70 crime analysts on on our department, and there's a variety of assignments. So we have 23 substations so that we have um, a number of analysts at each particular station. So they do station analysis, which involves administrative, strategic, tactical, investigative, and intelligence analysis. And we also have a number of headquarters detectives assignments. Um, Without going into every one, we'll just go into the ones that, you know, most people have. We have a homicide, a special victims bureau, narcotics bureau, and we also have a human trafficking bureau now where that analyst is doing a lot of social media And there's quite a number of detective unit assignments. And we also have a separate sheriff's intelligence unit. And half of the analysts are assigned to the sheriff's intelligence unit looking for, you know, situational awareness and uh, threats and, and those types of things. And in the sheriff's department, are the crime analysts, are they sworn or non sworn? Non sworn. And can you kind of tell me what that means? Well, we don't have arrest powers. We don't carry a badge and a gun. But I would just add that our analysts, and I think the reason that we have 70 crime analysts is they work very, very closely with detectives. And as a supervisor now, I can't tell you the feedback I get all the time when I'm writing evaluations or when I do site visits. And they, you know, they'll say they're another detective for us. You've worked your way up through the ranks, and now you're the supervising crime analyst. Is that correct? Yes, I am. Was there any special education or training that really helped position you for for that role? I think it was, I I was a crime analyst for nearly 20 years before I promoted. 
um, into crime analysis. So I honestly think that um, it was my experience that got me where I'm at and, you know, the ability to mentor and train. I'm also the training coordinator for the Sheriff's Department for the analytical program. Are there any specific cases or events that highlight your work in crime analysis? Yeah, I I think um, there's you know there's been several. Um, the two that stand out for me um, was the day I was a station analyst, and this was before we had a small number of crime analysts at the time. So if there was a homicide that happened in a station area, the homicide detectives would work with that station analyst. And there was one detective that, you know, would always bring me some, you know, case info and he couldn't find where a bad guy lived or or whatever. Well, I walked in one morning and there was a little note on my computer and it said, Annie, you had a homicide in the riverbed last night. The suspect's name is Bob. Find him. Well, I had a good good back and forth relationship with this one particular detective and I really thought he was he was teasing with me, right? That he had been in the station at 2 a.m. and just left me a note to say hi. Um, well, it wasn't the case. So what happens was he comes around about a half hour after that note was there. And he said, are you working on my guy, identifying my guy? And I said, do you really think I'm going to find Bob, who, who is a transient living in the riverbed? And he said, well, you've done some great stuff for me before. I'm just giving it a shot. So at that moment, I I said, okay, sit down, show me your notes. Let's go through your notes. Tell me what you already know. And let's see if we can narrow down some things. In all of Los Angeles County, I have to believe there are thousands and thousands of Bobs, probably even quite a few transient Bobs. So you're a crime analyst. What's your thought of where do you even start the process? What was the first thing that you planned on doing? Well, the first thing I planned on doing is looking in my local RMS, you know, records management system database to see if we had had any sort of contact with someone. And there's a few different things that he told me that, you know, gave me a little more information that, you know, I might be able to find it just in our own records. Also, um, we had access to our parolees in California, so he said that the witness had told him that there was a possibility he was on probation or parole. So when you check those, those two things, did anything come out of that? Well, actually it did. When I, when I looked in the parole database, I, I'm able to restrict it to an area. So I restricted it to an area within this, you know, this riverbed area. And I ran the name in a couple of variations, Bob, Robert, Rob, um, Robbie. But obviously, just like you said, Joe, it's, you know, there were quite a few. And so we're going through all of these records, this detective and I, and he looks at me and he said, well, you're not giving me anything. So now that you at least have a list of potential Bobs, how do you narrow it down to your Bob? Well, when when I said to him, you know, you're not giving me much to go on, he said, oh, I forgot one thing. Um, the victim's girlfriend, who was the witness, said he quite possibly might use his aunt's address in Downey. So then I decided to 
Now I looked for Roberts and Bob's within the city of Downey, and I still came up with a very large number of, uh, you know, we, we couldn't really do this, right? So I said to him, and he was getting frustrated, and I, I understood his frustration, so I said, look, you've been up all night. Why don't you do me a favor? Go home. Go to sleep. Give me your, give me copies of your notes. And I'll try and go through some other things. I wasn't sure exactly what other things that would be. Um, I'll go through some things. Call me when you wake up. So when you were going through the notes, is that where you found something that kind of pointed you in the next direction? Actually, no. So within the next hour, I thought he had gone home. He came back to my desk and I said, I thought you went home to sleep. And he said, no, I... He said, um, patrol brought in another transient and he's in the interview room. And he said, he told me, well, I definitely know who Bob is. And he definitely is a parolee and his aunt lives in Downey and he uses her address. So we had a confirmation on that. So he said, you know, Annie, where are the, where are all those parolee sheets that you printed out? I said, I shredded them because, you know, we need more to go on. And I still need more to go on. And I looked at him and I said, okay, wait a minute. Does the, does this guy have a tattoo? And he said, I don't know. So this is a case in point for analysts. Don't think that the detective always knows the right questions to ask. And so I knew that I could narrow down a suspect in our parole database via a scar, a mark, or a tattoo. Let's say, for instance, a suspect has a tattoo of a snake on his shoulder. Can you search based on that criteria? Yes, I can. So what he what he did was he went back to the interview room and came back, came, immediately came back out. And I don't really recall the exact tattoo, but the other transients said, yeah, he has a tattoo of, you know, we'll just use as an example, like said, a snake on his left shoulder. Um, And sure enough, I ran the tattoo and I always run a broad search. Like if you told me left shoulder, I would just run shoulder. Just in case it either wasn't captured that way or they could be wrong. Very, very broad. Sure enough, I identified the right Bob. We printed out what we thought was him and the um, we created a, a photo lineup for that witness, and he positively identified Bob. And you had mentioned another case involving robberies of restaurants. Can you tell me about that case? We had a um, a series of restaurant and fast food robberies. They were becoming increasingly violent, and um, they would do like a takeover. Um, robbery of a restaurant, you know, jump over the counters, hold guns to be, you know, the patrons' heads. And it it was going on for probably, I would, I, if I recall correctly, it was about two months. And it also involved another, a neighboring chair station. So um, the three of us, there were two analysts there. We were working together on trying to put together the pieces and, you know, hopefully make some predictions on these robberies. And was there a reason to believe that it was one group of people committing most, if not all these? You know what? That's a perfect question for this because we had a disagreement as analysts, an analytical uh, 
stalemate. They believed it was different groups of people doing these robberies. I completely disagreed with them on this. Um, and basically because I had worked on another series that was similar. So we always had three to four suspects. Um, the MO factors were all the same in these robberies, but we would have different cars or we'd have one or two suspects that didn't you know, match from the previous two. My theory on it was, no, I do believe just based on the MO factors and the geography, like where they were hitting, um, this is the same, this is the same group. However, it could be a night where one of those suspects couldn't go and caper. So they found somebody else in the gangs that sounded like it looked like gang members, um, or, you know, a neighborhood group or whatever. So that, that's the premise that I went with. And I just continued my analysis. We still talked, but we had a very big dis- disagreement on that. So what did you have to go on? What was your next step? So I had a lieutenant, um, and he was becoming frustrated too. And he looked at me one day and he said, well, you know what? You're the analyst. You're supposed to tell us what you're supposed to be able to predict when the next one's going to happen. And I looked at him and it said, okay, uh, I, you're right. I'll take a stab at it and I'll give you what I got. So in your mind, what would you even do? What would be the steps of trying to predict the next event? One of my strengths, the way I see it, I'm really good at just putting things together on a spreadsheet and just quickly looking at most frequent day of week, time of day. And I'll be very honest with you. I took a general stab on it based on that data. And I made a prediction on um, where I felt the next robbery would occur, the, lo- the physical location. And I based that analysis on the type of locations they were hitting. They were near freeways. And there was an area that had a restaurant uh, on each corner and they had not hit there. So I decided to just go out on a limb with that. And I gave them, I can remember the day of the week and the time of day. I told him it would be next Tuesday between um, 2,200 hours and um, 0,100 hours. So you give this information. What did they do to act on that information of the next possible robbery? Um, Well, they set up a team, a surveillance team of several detectives and patrol deputies um, based on the information that I gave them, paid overtime, which, you know, I'm obviously a little bit, um, gee, I hope I'm right on this, right? Because we have no crystal ball. It is just your, you know, your best guess based on what you're looking at. So the next morning, I'm driving into work. And on the radio, I happen to be listening to a news channel. And it starts out, there was a, there was a violent robbery that occurred in Norwalk. That was the, that was the city um, last night at at it was like ten forty five p.m. and the the suspect was was eventually arrested based on some information that was was given to them. Right, and I I was flabbergasted. I said I did it. I really did it. So here's here's what happened. 
I was about a mile off, but my day and my time were dead on. So with that information, they heard the call come out, but they were close enough that they could get to it. And they caught the guy fleeing from the location. So your reaction could have been, well, of course I'm right, or I can't believe I'm right. Which, which one was it? I can't believe I'm right. A lot of people want to go into law enforcement as a profession. I think for most people, they think of a police officer just because they're the most familiar with that. For somebody who's interested in getting into law enforcement, what might be the deciding factor to say maybe being a, a crime analyst is something that would be a good fit for you? This is a growing, growing field. Um, and I can tell you how much I love this job. I'm going to be retiring soon. Um, however, I'm staying in in a, in a different role. I'm going to be doing teaching and, you know, some presenting. And, and I'm presently on the um, International Association of Crime Analysts Executive Board. So I still am very passionate. I think that anyone who wants to get in that enjoys, enjoys puzzles, right, enjoys, has good cognitive thinking, can work in a law enforcement environment, which is very, very different. This is a very, very large field now, and I, it's enjoyable. I love what I do every day. Now, my understanding is California is a little bit unique, although there's a few other states similar in that your Department of Justice has a crime and analysis certificate. What What is that certificate? It is a, um, an extension course through three different colleges right now, Sacramento State, UC Riverside, and Cal State Fullerton. And so what it is, it's, a, it's an extension program, a certification program. You do 172 hours of classroom work, and then there's a 400-hour practicum internship, and you receive a certificate. Now, this this certificate, my understanding is this is not a substitute for getting your degree. This is an added training. Absolutely. And I can tell you, Joe, that some agencies, a number of law enforcement agencies in California um, actually require this certificate along with your, um, your bachelor's degree in order to qualify for the position. You're very active in the International Association of, of Crime Analysts. What does that organization do? It promotes our profession. We have nearly 4,000 members, not just within the United States, but internationally. And we, we provide training. We provide mentorship. We have committees on colleges and universities so that the word is getting out you know, to, about crime analysis for these people who aren't sure what to do. So would that organization be a good resource for somebody who's exploring crime analysis, crime analyst as a career? Absolutely. I point people in that direction because there's, um, there's actually a lot of different information on what is a crime analyst, how do you hire a crime analyst, what are you looking for. So if people can go to um, IACA.net and you just can't get into the uh, member side, which gives you a member directory. And somebody who's listening to this and says, you know, that sounds like something I'd want to do. What career advice would you have for that person? Well, it is a law enforcement position. So if they're young, I would tell them that you have to be able to pass um, an extensive background check. Um, so you might want to 
Google that and see what it is that you need to stay away from now and just start showing an interest. You can easily contact, we, I've had people contact me, you know, contact the sheriff's department and say, you know, I'd just like to sit with a crime analyst and see what they do. I'm thinking about that. Another, um, and we, we set them up. The other thing they might want to think of is I really want to go in, in law enforcement. Um, there's a lot of positions available, clerical. We have what we call law enforcement technicians. They work the front desk and handle 911 calls. Um, just go on their local agency's you know, website and find out what positions are available. What we say is if your eventual goal is crime analysis, it's a good idea to get your foot in the door and already have a position within that department. It's a little bit easier to get hired. Well, Annie Mitchell, thank you for being on the Go Law Enforcement Podcast. Thank you so much, Joe. If you're looking for a job in law enforcement, check out the largest listing of law enforcement jobs on golawenforcement.com. To help you get that law enforcement job you want and deserve, we put together a special guide for you. Seven inside tips to get a law enforcement job fast. You can get the guide for free just by going to jobtipsnow.com. That's jobtipsnow.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.